the Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. I am Nia Marshall and today we are lucky to be joined by Alex Freed, who is a director at the Philip Freed & Co. Alex is an accountant who advises self-employed professionals and small businesses on their tax, accountancy and financial management affairs. He's a specialist in the affairs of barristers and his portfolio currently includes over 200 practitioners. Today we will be speaking about managing finances as a barrister. Welcome and thank you for joining, Alex. Well, it's it's very good to be here. Now, this is very much a hot topic only because many students or aspiring barristers don't get to hear a lot about this before entering practice. So before we delve into the substantive matter today, uh, we just would like to ask you a bit about your educational background. So can you shed some light on that for us today, Alex? Well, I I have a reasonably unconventional background in my profession in that I originally trained to be a barrister. So in 2010, I did the bar course, um, having having done a law conversion course previously, got all the way to sort of being offered pupillage. And in that intervening period between the BPTC and starting, I was sort of propositioned by, by my father, who was himself looking to move on, retire his own practice, Philip Fried & Co. And I, I made the switch almost almost 10 years ago now. Definitely un- unconventional indeed. So, you know, I must ask the question, Alex, although you were offered pupillage, as you just stated, why did you decide to, to pursue a career in accountancy then? Yeah, um, so, so my dad worked with barristers for, for many years. I, I should say I was very unsuccessful at leveraging any sort of potential nepotism. It, we, we, were, we, were, we were very poor at getting any 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 further because of his contacts but he I did I did do a mini pupillage in about 2005 and that was general crime and I was sort of hooked from from that point by the time I got to actually you know being offered pupillage the chambers that I had been offered <laughs> ceased to exist in the in the intervening period and it was a time when lots of people were sort of quite worried about publicly funded practices and like I said for for different reasons our our own family it it made a lot of sense for me to join the family business. Okay that makes sense a lot and it also puts you in a unique position as well because you you've been trained um, to become a barrister so it makes you quite unique as well to kind of understand our, our finances and makes you in a great position to be a specialist in in that particular area. So let's talk about pupils financial management um, as we're going to work through the career as a barrister slowly. So let's start there. Can you provide essential financial tips or so that all pupil barristers should be made aware? I, I, I think when it comes to tax and general financial matters for barristers, it's not the most complex area. Um, there are some very important but 
quite sort of easy to understand principles. And I think it's more about A, knowing what those principles are and B, habit building. So, so you know, it's easy for people to know what they should be doing, but it's hard for people to actually put them into practice. And um, as a pupil, there are some key principles, I think, to, to understand. The first one being the relevant dates. So unless you've been told, okay, when is my first tax payment? When do I need to file tax returns? When do I register for VAT? All of these sort of, you know, pretty boring logistical points. How will you know when you need to address them? So understanding your key dates and deadlines is really important. Secondly, I think you need to have an awareness of just how the nuts and bolts of tax and and potentially VAT, if you're going to be VAT registered, just a real top line understanding of how it works. And what is my tax bill going to be based on? What are the headline tax rates? How am I going to be paying income tax, national insurance, student loan, VAT? And then from that, the next thing is, well, okay, well, how do I sort of keep track of everything? Because it's one thing to know, okay, this is how my tax bill is going to be calculated. But the follow on is, well, how does one prepare and file a tax return? And when you boil it down, I think the most important thing is that people are keeping proper records of all of their financial transactions. I think everything else that there are nuances involved in your tax affairs and such, it really comes down to that core requirement to keep track of all of your financial transactions. I think we'll probably talk about some of these in a bit more detail, but either, and it's probably an either or, separate separate accounts for work and personal. So you've you can compartmentalize your work transactions from your personal life and also a, a really basic system for keeping track of your expenses. So we, we use with most of our clients, particularly the younger ones, particularly the pupils, an app that they can use every time they buy something for work, they keep track of it and it's a way for them to manage their own expenses. Now, what seems to have jumped out to me is, is knowing the particular dates for taxes. So at which stage are pupils' earnings then subject to taxes? In almost all cases, you are going to be, and I, I'm, I'm really talking here about self-employed barristers. I think if you're, if you're an employed barrister, you're in a much better system. You've got PAYE, you've probably got a payroll department and a finance team that are, that are dealing with all of this. But for a self-employed barrister, in almost all cases, self-employment starts first day of second six. That's when you register with HMRC as being self-employed. And that's when all of your profits relating to self-employment begins. And um, in most, I think in almost every chambers that I'm aware of, that's the second six award being taxable. And then, you know, your own income and expenses that you're deriving through your own practice. Now, we do know that there are some chambers that allow for pupils, uh, before they start pupilage, basically, to draw down on their awards. So how are advances or drawdowns of pupilage awards treated? Can they be taxed? 
Yeah, the, the important thing on this area to note is that there's no statute, there's no case law. There really is just an arrangement, uh, quite a long-standing arrangement between the Bar Council and HMRC about how they will tax pupillage awards. So some of the nuances, uh, I will be completely honest, are, are, are judgment calls, simply because we really don't have anything else that we need to go on. Um, a, the, ultimately, the, the, the question is, is it a first six award or is it a second six award? The first six award is, in, in like I said, in most cases, treated as being non-taxable. It's kind of like a scholarship or, or, or a vocational award. It's not, uh, it's not when self-employment starts. You can, you can form your own views of, of, as to whether first six pupils are in fact self-employed. Um, but for these purposes, they're not treated as that. And the second six is when self-employment starts. So if you're arrangement with chambers specifies that the drawdown is a drawdown of first six, then sure, it can be treated as a first six award and it's not taxable. If it's defined as being a drawdown of the second six award, then my view would be, well, it doesn't really matter when you take it. It's a second six award. It's pursuant to self-employment. It goes into the accounts just like anything else. Now, most chambers either specify it's a first six drawdown or they're silent to it. And I think if they're silent to it, I assume, well, it was drawn down before second six, quite a long time before, in fact. So I'm kind of going to assume that it's a first six award. That's very helpful. Now, let's turn to barristers' financial management. So you've we've passed the pupillage stage and we're now speaking about juniors, primarily. What kind of financial advice uh, do you provide to, to barristers um, at this stage, basically? Well, I'm, I'm regulated to give tax advice. And obviously, there's some generic financial advice that I can give. But um, financial, you know, specialist financial advice is a, is a regulated activity. So I, I, I don't get involved in investment advice or anything like that. I think generic financial advice is probably what a lot of young barristers benefit from. And actually, I think, you know, to be honest, when it comes to my role and what I see in in, in practice every day, I think it's just being in control of your finances. Whoever you are, I think in almost every case, all of my barrister clients, I think, have to deal with a lot of the same issues. So, uh, you know, the first one is going to be a, a structural one, which is having to perform work, incur costs, and then have to wait to get paid. And there are different, you know, obviously massive diversity of different practices. Some will have smaller debtors than others. But I think almost every barrister deals with this idea that okay, they've got to have some discipline because they know they're going to have to wait to get paid. So you can't really have these fine margins with your finances. I think you've always got to have a kind of window, a, a, a margin of safety, because you're often waiting to get paid for work. And I think secondly, it's, all, it's, it's quite difficult for barristers to know what their financial position is, is looking like. When you're doing 
multiple cases for multiple people. You know, it's not like a salary where you know how much you're being paid every month or every year and you can sort of budget against that. Because self, all self-employed work is often quite uncertain, you know, really keeping track of, okay, my, my payment summary, my, my, my work done report, my expenses, uh, I, I think it's really important for people to understand, you know, what, actually what is my profit? How much can I budget for outside of my, my work? Now, earlier in our conversation, you spoke about a savvy app that you can uh, give to pupils. This prompted me to think about, you know, how can, how can barristers or utilize any software to ensure that they're keeping accurate and up-to-date records of their income and expenditure? Are there a lot of those on the market, would you say? There are quite a lot on the market. There are not that many that I think are well, there's certainly none that are specifically designed for barristers. And there are a couple that I think are probably not particularly good for barristers. Most barristers will probably be familiar, even if it's something that they don't use, with a software called Zero. And Zero is a really, really interesting accounting software product for small businesses. I think for most barristers, zero is probably a little bit too much. I think it requires a lot of a, of a lay person to get it to work, but it can do really well um, for, 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 lots of, for lots of barristers. And lots of chambers are, are also quite adept with it. So, so, you know, they've got quite a lot of institutional knowledge there. But what, what we use with our clients is an expense scanning app called Dext. It used to be called Receipt Bank but it's exactly the same software and it's really the market leader for small businesses when it comes to expense scanning apps so you you either, you know you get a receipt you take a picture you also can use it in your web browser and there's all sorts of different ways to do it and um, i don't think anybody really who works with barristers we're not the early adopters of this technology it's a pretty mature market. So uh, accountants have been using this uh, with various industries for, for a number of years. And um, there are all sorts of government regulatory plans to, to digitalize the tax system. And these sort of apps are front and center. It's mind-blowing how we use uh, technology to assist us. That's, that's great, because I'm sure that it would have been easing a, a lot of burden and, and saving the trees <laughs> in terms of paperwork. Now, yeah. which business expenses can be claimed uh, to be offset against income? Yeah, so the, the statute really is just that an expense must be wholly and exclusively for the purposes of work. And everything sort of flows from that. So all the principles, all the case law, everything we understand about allowable expenses flows from, you know, wholly and exclusively. For, for, for most of a barrister's accounts, I don't think there is a conceptual difficulty with whether it should be part of the accounts or not. So, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to pay money for indemnity insurance or your practicing certificates or a wig and a gown or a collarette or any of these sort of things unless they're wholly and exclusively for work. So there's some real specific areas 
uh, items of expenditure that are just obviously allowable. Then there are the sort of generic professional expenses that you'd expect almost anybody in 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 business to be able to claim, like you know your office setup costs, computers, mobile phones, consumables, stationary postage, and that sort of thing. Obviously, chambers rent and expenses is by far the biggest category of expense that a barrister will incur. And I would say that the two areas that are kind of conceptually the most uh, tricky to to wrap your head around will be A, use of home. Uh, Actually, it's not very tricky when you deal with it, but I think from the outside, it feels like it. Every barrister now, I assume, is working from home to some degree. 99% of my clients will, will, will be doing that proportion of your home running expenses should be accounted for in your accounts. There are different approaches. Best one is normally to use proportion of floor space method. And then the other category that I think, uh, not in the last 12 months, but in, in general causes the most amount of debate is travel expenses. And travel expenses for all self-employed people is a bit of a, a live issue amongst uh, before the courts. But broadly speaking, any work travel that isn't a commute, so something that's regular and predictable, is an allowable expense, should go into the account, should be eligible for tax relief. And that's going to courts, meetings, lectures, you know, anything for work. In, in the sort of traditional sense, chambers would normally be a commute, whether or not that will be the case in the future with, with, with you know, remote ways of working remains to be seen. And a lot of a lot of my job is when when it comes down to preparing sets of accounts is to advise on okay well which travel is allowable and which isn't. That's interesting. It's also apparent that expenses will always be ongoing once you're working, but as you stated before, with self-employed barristers, the income maybe a bit uncertain in terms of you may not be able to predict specifically a certain amount monthly. What advice would you give to junior barristers about strategically managing the earnings that they they do gain? It's a really difficult issue to advise on. Like I said, I think the best thing to do is to almost almost create your own PAYE system. So uh, the reality is, is that because you don't have much control over when you'll be paid, you're going to have some big months and some low months in terms of the money that you're paid. Your, 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 your billings are not going to resemble your bank balance at any, uh, you know, at any given time often. So it's important to, you know, sort of make sure that when you are paid, you squirrel away enough money for tax and VAT and almost always it's appropriate to arrive at a percentage. I'm not going to give you that percentage because it's not possible for me to say from the outside to everybody what that percentage should be, but everybody will have their own percentage that's relevant for them. Then what I really like is sort of paying yourself a salary or a stipend or or even you can do it in reverse. You can sort of say, well, okay, every month I'm going to look at what I've been paid. I'm going to put aside my tax money. I'm going to pay myself my salary. That's my for my living cost. That's for my that's what I need to survive. Or vice versa, I'm just going to put aside 
some business savings, you know, that I'm going to hold on, you know, in the good months, you draw down on the surplus in the bad months, you, you know, you, you eat into it. Now, obviously this is all great. If you need to, ultimately, if you need to dip into your tax savings for, for your running costs, then you do so. But at least you do so consciously here, knowing that you can catch up in the future. I think that's good advice. And given that tax seems to be this recurrent factor that we we have to keep in mind, which taxes apply to self-employed barristers? So income tax, national insurance, and your student loan repayments will all be paid to HMRC. It won't be hypothecated. So, I mean, it, it may be hypothecated somewhere down the line, but for you, you just pay one amount to HMRC. Taxpayers in this country pay tax 31st of January, 31st of July. So you pay twice a year. And then not all barristers, but many barristers will be VAT registered at some point. And VAT, which is not necessarily a tax on, you know, it's a consumption tax rather than a tax on your profits. You're sort of collecting it rather than suffering it. But that's paid every every quarter, so every three months. And it's you can everyone's got their own quarterly cycle. Given that everyone has their own quarterly cycle, I think uh, persons would be able to predict when when those payments are due, and it seems as though you'd be able to put away for that for that time or save for that time. Now, given that we recognise that there there is some uncertainty about about when you'd be specifically gaining or receiving your earnings. What strategies do you think barristers can employ to ensure that they combat any challenges of financial planning? One of the hard things I've observed from the outside looking in is that (laughs) it's a very hard, it's a very hard way to make a living. It's not easy, particularly at the beginning, and it's quite a hard profession to get a foothold into. So you don't have the luxury of like an accountancy trainee normally gets a couple of years while they're training and sort of an apprenticeship in their practice where they're kind of given a bit of a, you know, they're, they're sort of treated with, with a bit of caution. You know, we don't throw them into the fire straight away. Uh, it seems to me at the bar, it's not, it's a bit more sink or swim. Uh, certainly when, when you, when you start second six and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough job and also, you're running a business alongside that. So, you know, I think in the first year or so, many people give themselves quite a hard time about their own financial planning. And, and really, the, the, you know, this is, a, this is often a long-term profession. And it, just, just getting through the first year or so is actually, you know, that's not something to, 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 to be ignored. When you've maybe a year or so down the line, uh, and you've got a better sense about your practice and about the rhythms of your practice and where you want it to go. Yeah, I think that's probably where it's time to start doing a bit more, a bit more planning. And it doesn't have to be anything that's particularly complex. You know, I, I think, well, there are kind of two things that most people have as their f- f- priority. Often it's paying off a student loan if they've got one. And secondly, it's um, it's getting on a housing market. Now, that's probably biased for where I live in, in London, where, where the housing market is, uh, I think, different from elsewhere. But I think most people, that's that's the goal. 
at the beginning and and you know it's it's a very simple and and um and popular goal i think that would definitely be helpful for our listeners i'm thinking about the fact that barristers will be practicing while running a business as you said and what pops to mind is cash flow problems how can you manage or combat any potential cash flow issues within your business while doing all, all of these things you know i'm sure i'm sure that at a chambers level there are things that can be done to improve cash flow now, now <laughs> i must admit i don't know what they are but i do think that you know i do think that certainly my experiences working with chambers themselves and fees clerks that i've come across in my time you know i'm 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 i'm, I'm sure that many people would benefit from having conversations with chambers about ways to get paid more quickly because whatever i say about cash flow the best way to improve your cash flow is for your your invoices to get paid quickly in terms of my world the only thing which is quite a big one is to take advantage of something called the cash basis so the cash basis is where your accounts and your income tax national insurance student loan liability is based on money in money out so you're not paying tax on your on your age debts you're making sure that all of your tax bills are based on your payments and you know if you are submitting invoices and getting paid in arrears that must mean that your tax bills are being paid as slowly as possible which obviously is good for cash flow and also you know i think for many people it just kind of simplifies things uh, to some degree cash base is only available for 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 certain people so to get into the cash basis you need to have turnover under 150,000 per annum so you know most most pupils will get in and you don't have to come out until you exceed 300,000 double the entry threshold so you know it is i would say uh it is a no brainer very very standard tax planning tool yeah it seems very effective from how you are describing it now another thing that pops to mind is how how can how can barristers go about managing their incurred costs like paying chambers a percentage of their earnings while still saving and contributing towards investments like mortgages and pension plans well it's i suppose it's quite difficult actually to to answer that question what needs to happen is an awareness of okay what is my budget because there's no point oh, maybe there is but there, in my view there's no point making chunky pension contributions if it means that you don't have enough to service your living costs so you know you need you need to be in control of all this information and i think you know like i said i think the most important thing is to try and live and it, this is not for you know people I, i don't think it's fair to for me to say people should live within their means you know because it's often quite hard to build up the capital that you know is that you would need but certainly as time goes on and finances become more stable and it's imp- it's important to to have that margin of safety and and the reality is is that you know we we we're, we're human and and we've sort of got to 
build these habits that protect ourselves from our human tendencies. So, you know, when I get paid a big, a big brief fee, I, I, I need to know that, okay, I need to keep back some of that for tax and I need to be, you know, I, I need to have the discipline to, uh, to, to, to add to my savings and, and, and such like. It seems as though discipline is the key to manage your business or manage your aspect of, of your practice. Yeah, I think, sorry to cut you off, but I think that um, discipline is potentially a, like, I, I, I think it's a bit unfair because, you know, I, I would say most people who are barristers that, I, I know I use the word discipline, so it's my, my own fault, but um, most barristers I know that, let's face it, don't have the best financial affairs. They have plenty of discipline in their lives. Uh, and often the problem is, is that they're putting themselves last, you know, they might be putting their clients and their family before themselves. And when I say discipline, I think it's more like, like I said, building these habits and just keeping on track of things, keeping, keeping on track of your own financial position. And, and, um, it's, it's not that hard, but it's sort of like exercise. If you do it a lot, it compounds. If you don't do it for a long time, it gets quite painful when you get around to it. Now that makes sense, and especially when you refer to some barristers that unfortunately put themselves last. It also makes me wonder um, how 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 would they exactly prepare for ill health? So, for example, how how can barristers then prepare for a period of mm. loss of earnings through ill health? Well, there's really only two ways. Uh, one is to to have your own private savings so you know a, a rainy day fund i think we've not just barristers but i think everybody has you know seen in the last year or so how important it is to have cash on hand in case you know unforeseen events occur but you can also you can also insure against these sort of things so you can have uh, critical illness insurance policies and um not that many, but I know some chambers will have group policies, which, you know, when it comes to things like insurance products, typically it's best to be part of a group and you can negotiate better. So I would say, you know, it should be on the radar. I don't advise on insurance products because again, it's a regulated activity, but I think in generic terms, it's a good thing to have on one's radar to be thinking about, critical illness insurance and, you know, at some point life insurance, which is quite similar. That seems very helpful. Now, I know earlier in our conversation, you were saying that there were some main differences between the employed bar and the self-employed bar regarding financial management or assisting with taxes specifically. Are there any uh, ma other major headlines that our listeners should know about? I, I must say, you know, that our firm we we act for over five hundred self-employed barristers. I don't I don't act for a single employed barrister, or not knowingly. <laughs> maybe oh, maybe I do. Maybe maybe I do, but they're sort of uh, they've gone into something else. But there, there's not really much that an employed barrister would need in terms of their own taxation or investment planning that anyone else who was employed would need to think about so like i said all the complexity of paying tax keeping your own 
control of your own finances that they, they are they are taken out of your hand when you are employed you have a payroll department and and, and a finance team so I, I imagine if 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 there is anybody who is at the employed bar who has made it this far <laughs> there's not really very much i can say that they're going to find useful okay thank you alex i have one more question for you and that's simple do you think that barristers should consider hiring a financial advisor or an accountant to to combat these these challenges uh, okay financial advisor i think often well it, it's it's case by case right because you might have some reasons outside of your bar practice why you'd want financial advice in general i think certainly at the beginning a financial advisor is not going to be cost effective and 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 Every financial advisor that I know, and I know quite a lot of them, will say the same thing that, you know, you, you often need to have a, a level of capital where it makes sense to, to instruct someone. For an accountant, can, can a barrister do their own accounts tax return? Yeah, definitely. And I've met some barristers who have done a very good job. It's a bit of a rarity, I think, to find uh, a barrister that does their own accounts and tax return well. I think the issue when it comes to these sort of things is that you don't really know what you don't know. So it's my job to keep up to date with regulatory changes, tax changes, industry best practices. I think it's going to be quite hard for somebody to sort of do that as an amateur on the weekend. And, you know, I think to be honest, as as one's practice develops, it's it's sort of outsourcing. You know, you can you can do a lot of the stuff yourself, but you've got to consider the time and the effort and the emotional baggage of having to do all this all, all, all of this on your own. So obviously, this is what I do for a living. So I would say that people should consider hiring an accountant. But yeah, I do think that there's a there's a real need for it. That there are different accountants. And, and that not everyone works in the same way. So it's, it's what's most important is that, you know, you work with somebody that you trust and also somebody who provides the service that you want because um, it's not a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. There are different people doing different things. Well, that's very helpful, Alex. Uh, I quite enjoy this, this conversation on managing finances. So thank you for spending a little time chatting with us today. Well, look, thank you for inviting me and, and you know, giving me an opportunity to, to talk to you today. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.